As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, game is gone. Here's what we got in its place. Leeds, call them Race Dallas powered as they beat Man City. West Ham also having problems with Leeds as they almost blow another three-goal one. At Spurs, Edinson does what it says on the tin in a 3-1 win for Man United, while Fulham's lack of finish means they probably are after Newcastle's win at Burnley. We've got all of that coming up, plus a couple of thoughts about midweek and the Intertotally and more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Bauer. Hello, listener. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, It may well be Monday the 12th of April for you, but it's very much Sunday evening for us as we record this Totally Football show featuring the mighty thoughts of Daniel Storey. Hello, Daniel. Hello, James. Also, Michael Cox with us. Hi, James. And getting in on the act, it's Adam Hurry. All right, Adam. Hello, James. Yes, all right. right, Thank you. Okay, football cliches. Very nice. Let's see. Uh, complaints about VAR, Mourinho deflection nonsense. A ponder over whether Ollie's actually quite good. If you've got those on your totally bingo card, stand by for an early house today because it's been there's been a lot of our favourite storylines re-emerging with a vengeance. In, in what was a very entertaining weekend, would you say? I liked a lot of goals in every game. It was one of those where I was looking at the fixture list of the eight games and it felt like all of them were either exciting or meaningful which um, at this stage of the season is, is not always the case. So, yeah, I, I very much enjoyed the weekend. All right, then. Gets the uh, zonal marking thumbs up. Let's check out the scores. Of course, Saturday saw leaders at Man City beaten by Leeds uh, with only 10 men. Uh, Man City now 11 points ahead of Man United, who did Spurs 3-1 on Sunday afternoon. Behind them, it's all go in the top four race. West Ham's 3-2 win over Leicester. Chelsea beating Palace 4-1 and Liverpool beating Villa 2-1 means that Leicester are now only one point above the Hammers and one of four teams with Chelsea and Liverpool within just four points of each other. All those sides battling for two Champions League places. Down the bottom end, Newcastle now six points clear of Fulham with a game in hand after their 2-1 win at Burnley and Fulham's Friday night defeat to Wolves. Crikey. West Brom play Monday against Saints and there's Brighton Everton later on in the evening as well. I vote we start with David Moyes' band of brothers, whose campaign to make 3-0 a dangerous scoreline continued on Sunday in an electric clash with Leicester. 
You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. So foul, keeping West Ham on the front foot, and Jesse Lingard! He's only here on loan. He may only be passing through, but they won't forget him if his goals fire them into Europe. West Ham 3, Leicester 2. Third game in a row in which West Ham have gone 3-0 up. Arsenal pulled it back to 3-3. Wolves got it back to 3-2. Leicester very nearly did that. Huge chance for Wesley Fofana at the end. One or two questions there. David Moyes looking furious through much of the final 20 minutes. But it would, I think most Hammers fans feel, be churlish to complain about this team as they roar back into the top four. How impressed, Daniel, were you with West Ham? They kind of... They played pretty much the same way, but that's that's significant because they were missing most of the spine of the team. Mog Bonner was out, Declan Rice obviously out, and Mikel Antonio's now out as well. And Rice and Antonio in particular felt like they didn't really have the players to to replace them. Mark Noble's played more advanced as a midfielder last at the end of last season, but he kind of slotted in and did the sitting job. And yeah, Jared Bowen played centrally, and yet Jesse Lingard continues to be the informed player in the league. I think I'm right in saying he's since he joined West Ham, he's a top goal scorer in the league. He's had the most shots on target and he's got the second most assists behind Mikel Antonio, which is, uh, I mean, people are sort of saying, oh, it shows that Lingard was just a good footballer anyway and we should have known that, and which is, is completely valid. But I think it's a, we're allowed to be surprised that it's gone this well this quickly at a new club um, because... Uh, yeah, he he doesn't just look like he's enjoying his football. He, he, as I say, he looks like the informed midfielder in the Premier League, which he's never been before. Mm. Is he the difference? Is he the reason that West Ham are top four and genuinely looking like they could be in the Champions League next season? I don't know if he's the reason that they are or that they are the reason he's settled in so quickly because Moises seems to have this emphatic team spirit that doesn't seem to matter who comes in and out of the team they all pretty much play the same way all right a lot of players coming out as well as going in at the moment uh, you mentioned those already absent and uh, noble who'd slotted in for rice and slotting out again with what looked like a pretty serious uh, injury to his right arm didn't look good anyway cresswell also going out in that game uh, but uh, jesse lingard with another brace that first goal adam I know. I mean, um, West Ham are in this enviable position, it seems, that they've got two that men. They've got that man, Jesse Lingard, who, who in tandem with that man, Thomas Suchek, is an incredibly strong position to be in. I can't think of a previous Premier League club who have had two such unexpected that men. But um, it was really nice. I mean, um, the commentary kind of praised the, the cutback to, for his first goal as quite a nice pass. It wasn't at all. It, it was <laughs> sort of this bouncing ball that he had to deal with. And uh, quite an orthodox finish. He kind of sort of swept it in. Um, very knowingly, and uh, it was actually quite a deliberate finish. And you don't see you don't see a finish quite like that anymore. He sort of no. swept it in with the top of his boot. And um, yeah, I I I mean, I, it's not often that I would romanticise like this, but I do like seeing a player who is quite clearly a decent bloke enjoying his football at a club who appreciates him. Yeah, absolutely. He was speaking as well about his mother's battle with depression uh, on social media this week. Uh, which obviously is social media, big big topic of, of late. But yeah, it was really interesting to hear him speaking so kind of openly uh, about that. And I think uh, can only make us warm to him even more. So uh, West Ham looking fabulous. Michael, do you want to say nice things about West Ham or move straight on to the Leicester is it happening again question? I think all the nice things that need to be said have been said. All right, then hit Leicester hard. Go for it. Well, they did look like a side who had 
you know, lost a couple of players in surprise circumstances and maybe the rest of the squad were feeling a little bit uneasy about that. Seems like this uh, house party didn't just involve Madison and Perez, but a couple of other players who, you know, are out through injury at the moment or not involved with the squad. So it was clearly uh, something, I don't know, just get the impression it was a little bit like when... uh, you know, when you're at school and a couple of kids got into trouble and everyone kind of knew about it or felt like they were vaguely involved in some way. I don't know, they just they just looked so flat throughout the first half. Right. And uh, it was almost like they knew that West Ham had this reputation for going 3-0 up and then just collapsing because they did keep plugging away. And Ian Acho, who's been their best player in the last couple of months, obviously scored a couple of very decent goals. But mm. yeah, I, I mean, I, I sometimes I'm reluctant to attribute the result of a game to the news story of the day. But it feels like this was a case where the two went hand in hand. There was clearly a big issue at Leicester. And I think Leicester put out a statement about it midway through the game, which I found (laughs) unusual. But they were clearly quick to get their explanations in. So Madison, Perez and Chowdhury, the three players dropped for breaching COVID-19 protocols. But for the gossipy among you, can anyone provide more details on, you know, more salacious details on what actually that involved? I don't. I don't think it was particularly salacious. It was. It was just that they went to a house party, whether they organised it or not. But the fact that there were three, and it sounds like maybe two other Leicester players there as well, suggests that they were the focus of it. Which, like, without getting too high and mighty morally, it's just a really dim thing to do. Partly because you're obviously going to get found out, and secondly, even if you don't get found out, if one of you, low chance, but if one of you catches coronavirus at the party and then it isn't found out before you return to training and stuff that could have been catastrophic for Leicester season so I mean if I was Brendan Rodgers I'd be absolutely genuinely furious because in a in a in a kind of run-in when everybody knows you collapsed from kind of this stage onwards last season it's just such a dim thing to do. Personally as a as someone who perhaps um, fears social rejection perhaps a bit too much. My attention was drawn a little bit more towards the 20 or so Leicester players who weren't invited to the party. <laughs> um, should we ask Casper? No, he's a bit much. Um, but I, I suspect if they had invited Mark Honest Pro Albrighton, he would have dobbed them in straight away and that party would never happen. So perhaps they were wise to keep mm. it narrow. Although, of course, there's nothing funny about people broaching uh, uh, COVID-19 protocols. Uh, right. Leicester, they're only two points above fifth-place Chelsea now. Crikey. How worried should Brendan Rodgers be? I think probably quite worried. I I looked at Jamie Vardy, who, of course, previously has been known for having parties, but apparently wasn't involved in this one. Um, He's just going through a really difficult spell at the moment. It was just making runs that didn't really make sense. A couple of times it was miscontrolled and... Yeah, I mean, it was quite a worrying performance. And I don't know whether there's much in the way of, you know, there's a historical precedent for Rodgers doing this. I'm not sure whether there's any pattern between the the seasons, but certainly, you know, Chelsea are hot on their heels. And West Ham, who I must admit, I thought by this stage of the season would be falling out of contention, keep on going, obviously, uh, most most obviously with this game. So, yeah, I, I do slightly worry for them, yeah. One thing I did enjoy about this, I mean, this the consciousness of West Ham's pattern at the moment of going 3-0 up and nearly throwing it away isn't lost on David Moyes, who said after the game, we've got to get out of the habit of going three goals up and then conceding. I've made the players well aware of that. I mean, yeah, I mean, sometimes management isn't that difficult after all. Yeah, that sounds fairly logical. Thanks. 
But the, the ironic thing about that is, presumably, if before a game you'd said, right, David, I'll give you a three-goal head start, but then you concede, presumably he would take that. Yes. So the other the other thing on, on Leicester, which is a little bit daunting, is given that they wobbled so much at the end of last season, the last three league games are Man United away, Chelsea away, and Spurs at home, which is, um, yeah, if they were going to have a wobble, maybe Brendan Rodgers thinks, get it done now, and then you know they've got some reasonably easy games coming up, but... Uh, yeah, you can just see them. You can see Mourinho winning that last day of the season, even if it means Tottenham don't get into the Champions League and kind of nobody being happy as Mourinho and Rodgers stomp around the King Power. I tell you, I love it when we get to the stage of the season where we're talking about the running. That genuinely makes me quite excited. I think about 30 games on the board is, is where you can, maybe eight games to go, is where you can legitimately look at the fixtures. And just doing that today, I looked at Fulham's fixtures today. And I was like, nah, that's, that's them gone. And it's just, it just genuinely feel quite exciting because uh, the relegation battle probably won't be much of a thing, will it? But the Champions League battle, I think, is going to be quite exciting. Right, indeed. All right, then. While uh, Leicester get hammered, uh, some of the players for possibly not the first time this week, let's turn our thoughts <laughs> to the game that followed them on Sunday. And that was, of course, Spurs-Man United. I joked about 3-0 and dangerous scorelines earlier. Is there a scoreline that isn't dangerous to Spurs? I mean, yeah, it was, you know, you said at the top of the show about this was kind of weekend that seemed to hammer home stories we've already been talking about. And this was exactly that. Manchester United coming from behind, away from home, I think for the eighth time this season to win. Their away record is phenomenal. They can take 45 points away from home this season. And the Premier League record is 50 by Manchester City. And yeah, Tottenham's inability to uh, to hold a lead. But more than that, just their kind of deliberate passivity after going a goal up but I think they had 27% possession between scoring the first goal and conceding the equaliser and then the weird thing about Mourinho is that 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 obvious whatever he says that seems to be a deliberate ploy and and you know it can work to kind of sit out and defend the lead but the fact this keeps happening and yet when they concede the equaliser there isn't any instant shift through the gears you know he waited until I think like 75 minutes maybe 76 minutes to bring on Bale and yet even then there isn't really a plan other than we've got more attackers on the pitch now let's just go a bit more direct and try and do everything a little bit more quickly and that isn't really a a plan you know Mm. it's not not enough. We'll come back on to Mourinho and how in a second or two but Michael you were really impressed by Man United's response to going behind particularly because it wasn't all about counter-attacks and Fernandes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that that was my point, James. Thanks, thanks for uh, spilling the beans. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, yeah. Usually in big games, they're, they're one of the two things we say. Uh, they have been at times very reactive, very good at breaking. Sometimes Fernandez has got them out of jail with a moment of brilliance. But he was actually really quiet. I thought, aside from one good shot he had with his left foot that Larue's made a good save from, I thought there's probably an argument he was Manchester United's least influential player in this game, and yet they. They won it through through good passing combinations. I think Solskjaer made a bit of a change for the second half with with Pogba coming in to play more in a central position rather than on the left. I think that really helps. I thought he was actually very good in the second half, Pogba. Um, and yeah, they just played good football. I mean, even the, the goal that was disallowed in the first half, which didn't matter in the end, but that was a brilliant move. I thought Pogba's kind of almost holding up of play and waiting for the run was just just really, really clever. And yeah, it was just a good all-round performance. I thought one of the best performances from them for a long time. They started slowly, I thought. First 20 minutes, they weren't really in the game. 
But um, I thought the scoring pretty much went with um, with the pattern of the game. And yeah, I thought they probably did deserve to win it by two goals in the end. All right, or possibly more. Fred with the equaliser, Cavani with that wonderful diving header and Greenwood making it safe in stoppage time. And it should have been four, no? Because Cavani's opening, what would have been Cavani's opening goal, which was disallowed because of McTominay's brutal uh, flick <laughs> in Son's face. I mean, I don't know. One of the many, one of the many contentious decisions from Stockley Park where football goes to die uh, that we suffered through this weekend and credit to United that they came back from that rank injustice some of the chat before this game was because they're both so counter-attacky this season that this would be a kind of cancelling each other out session but I don't really think that's how counter-attack versus counter-attack works it would end really it just naturally ends up with whoever the cleverer more imaginative team are taking control because they're not going to sort of spend the game counter-attacking each other it just couldn't work so I wasn't massively surprised that that turned out to be United even though Fernandez, I agree wasn't hugely influential Pogba did sort of step up a bit that that first goal as as Coxie pointed out was Pogba at his most imaginative it was very power league actually that goal sort of slipping someone in and then sort of them sort of tucking it away um that's the standard of power league I play by the way just to just to make it clear but yeah mm-hmm. um very impressed very impressed by United um Proving a few people wrong. Okay. Speaking of proving people wrong, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, we, we go live now to Daniel and his ongoing <laughs> deep thought experiment in trying to work out if Solskjaer is quite good or not. Any updates, Daniel? Are the jury still out there somewhere? Yeah, I mean, without wanting to say the thing I've said probably seven times in a row when I've answered this question, I don't think he's the best manager Manchester United could have. But Do you think, I think he's better than you thought he was a couple of yes, weeks ago? Yes, definitely. Okay. Not, uh, not necessarily a couple of weeks ago, but he's certainly better than I thought, or he's done better than I thought he would when he was appointed. Yeah, mm. definitely. Um, okay. We should say the, the the kind of post-match stuff between Mourinho right. and Solskjaer, which was absolutely <laughs> well, bizarre. And uh, Itaraldi says, I absolutely need the guy's take on Mourinho, apparently not knowing the difference between figurative and literal speech. Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, in reaction to that Sun McTominay business that saw a goal disallowed for United, saying, I have to say, if my son stays down for three minutes and needs his 10 mates to help him up, he won't get any food, which is a weird thing to say, but Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is a bit weird anyway. Mourinho replied... Son is very, very lucky that his father is a better person than Ollie. And then he goes on about bread is bread and cheese is cheese. The amazing thing he says is, is he kind of go, he says that and everyone sort of, there's a sort of ripple of this is going to be good stuff. And then he goes deadpan serious and says, I'm a father and you always have to feed your kids. It doesn't matter what they do. It's like, yeah, this isn't a public service information film about parenting, Jose. He also said that the press didn't have enough moral honesty to ask him about um, Solskjaer's comments which you know if yeah. anyone's at an which, authority it's Jose <laughs> at which point the glass house just falls to the ground yeah. I mean I'm all for deflection tactics and um, um, it's one part of Mourinho's enduring armoury that I completely sympathise with it, it makes perfect sense that you would want to deflect attention away from the fact that your team are rubbish or momentarily rubbish but in this example I genuinely think that he took Solskjaer way too literally and uh, just went off on one. And uh, I mean, I, there may be another level of irony going on here, but I don't think so. You don't think? I think he just saw the opportunity to 
to completely get everyone discussing bread is bread and cheese is cheese and whatnot. Why is that? Why is there always a phrase from Portugal that seems to fit very, very loosely with these situations? It's, they have a massive array of sayings over there, it would seem. But bread is bread and cheese is cheese is really good. I it mean, is it says a lot, isn't it? I'm yeah. sure we'll all be dropping into our conversation this week. Uh, Michael, you wrote about Jose's tactics and how they're actually designed just to make sure everybody else gets the blame but him recently for the Athletic. What did you make of Spurs' approach in this game? Um... I mean, the thing with Mourinho is is it's difficult really to find new stuff to, to say about him because we've seen this kind of pattern so many times before. But it's even more difficult this season because we've seen the pattern in individual games so many times before. And, you know, the, the stats show that. Spurs are really good in the first half and then drop really deep. And, you know, to kind of echo what Daniel said, they didn't at all hit back after the equaliser. And I've got a kind of theory that it's quite difficult for teams to make the reverse shift within games, if that makes sense. You go from being very attacking to very defensive, but you can't then go back or the or the reverse. And that seems to be Tottenham's problem at some uh, at some stages. Um, but this, yeah, it was really flat, and it was it was disappointing because, like I said, I thought they started really well, and I thought Mourinho. To me, it looked like they tried to target Shaw, who he didn't like in Manchester United, and he was Shaw was really bad in the reverse picture in the six one. He was abysmal and it looked like there was a lot of attempts to kind of move him out of position and get runners in behind but obviously Shaw had the last laugh at the end there were quite a funny couple of photos going around of him embracing Solskjaer with uh, Mourinho looking really miserable next to him so yeah it was just more of the same from from Tottenham and and Mourinho it's a bit disappointing in the end how flat they were because I thought the first half was a really good game but uh, United completely dominant after the break a lot of people sort of are going to make this kind of a philosophical thing for Mourinho, kind of, a, you know, the familiar failings. But um, the fact is, this is a you know genuine game management issue because he ended up with Hoiberg and Sissoko anchoring his midfield while they were desperately chasing a game. So as Michael correctly points out, when you're going in that other direction, when you're suddenly having to chase a game that you thought was safe, um, you know, personnel wise, they just weren't equipped to do it. So um, if you can't hold on to a lead, you really are screwed. If, if Mourinho has nothing else, is the fact that when he goes back to a former club and goes to a, face a manager like Solskjaer, who I think he said, I think it was June last year, he kind of said, I really think this guy's out of his depth, basically. Um, that's normally enough for him to be able to energise those players to say, yeah, I really need this one, or we really need this one, but basically I really need this one. So to, to if also flatten this type of game makes you kind of think, wonder really what's left. Well, quiet. Next up, let's look at Man City, Liverpool and the Champions League midweek. At Paddy Power, we know there are plenty of risks in football. Parking the bus at 1-0, signing that promising youngster for 50 million. Or predicting Pep's lineups for your fantasy team. But at Paddy Power, we don't want you to take unnecessary risks. So when you sign up for a new account, you'll get your first bet up to £10 risk-free. That's money back as cash if it loses. Paddy Power. New customers only. Deposit using cards or via Apple Pay. First bet on sportsbook markets only. Minimum deposit. Max refund £10. Online exclusive. T's and C's apply. 18plusbegambleaware.org. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. And leads are coming, and there's a ball forward for Stuart Dallas, and Dallas is through, and Stuart Dallas has scored for Leeds! Stuart Dallas breaks through the middle and rolls the ball in! The ten men of Leeds United! Saturday afternoon, Leeds doing Man City with just ten men. And hurry, enjoyed your tweet. You are one nil up. But down to 10 men at half-time against Pep Guardiola's side. Sounds like a module on the UEFA Pro Licence. Bielsa answered it pretty well. He did. Um, I mean, I feel like we've seen a similar type of scenario quite a lot at big six clubs where they're chasing the points late on. And the team that they're who are attempting to counter-attack against them just don't have the guts to finish them off. And and sometimes these chances are glaring ones as well. But, and and to the point where when they're missed, they're weirdly kind of glossed over because the narrative is that the big six club are chasing this game and it doesn't really matter. But for once, a club had a had the kind of or individual players rather had the kind of guts to finish these moves off. I mean, in many cases that that Dallas opportunity at the end. I, just, I feel like it would have just sort of been scuffed or he, he would have taken it earlier or something like that. But um, Leeds are a very confident team because they've been drilled to be. And uh, if anyone were going to pull that off, I would have suspected it would be Leeds. But I mean, we're 10 men as well. Yeah. Spectacularly. So um, they take good. the lead, which was already a bit of a shock, but then they go down to 10 men. Uh, a Liam Cooper red card, which had Leeds fans pretty upset, not least because Fernandinho's tackle on Rafinha later on seemed way more intentional and and. and at least as violent. That's the one where he basically went in on Rafinha and sent him spiralling through the air and then subsequently leaving the field with an injury. But anyway, they go down to 10 men, then City equalise, and the the narrative is now can 10 men leads hang on for a point. But no, as you say, Stuart Dallas, with his second of the game, on only the second shot from Leeds of the game, making it 2-1. Man City had 29 shots against Leeds 2 and afterwards, we had a classic bit of Bielsa where he says, I didn't beat Pep. It's a game between two teams with the players being the predominant factors. We are just simply the two managers of the teams that faced each other. We deserve to win, but the just or fair thing would have been for City to win. So, I like it. It, found, it sounds like he's Googled the question on Wikipedia and just completely read out the page he's found. I really like that answer. Magnificent. You know, Bielsa brings a lot in terms of the tactical drilling of the side, but there's also a lot he brings in terms of belief and confidence. It's kind of what Adam alludes to and. I mean, the game plan they played here, they wouldn't have worked on that in training. I can't imagine. It was basically just getting men behind the ball and parking the bus, really. But they got through it because I think there is, you know, there's a fight and there's a determination about them. And that does come from the management. So, yeah, I thought it was a brilliant game for, for exactly the reason you say, James, in the sense that the 15 minutes after City equalised, it was, there's two outcomes of this game. Is it going to be a draw or Man City win? And then it was the third outcome. It was the outcome that you, I didn't even really... Until Rafinha had that counter-attack where um, Edison kind of tackled him. I hadn't even considered the idea Leeds might snatch it. I thought it was an absolutely brilliant game. And it was kind of nice afterwards because, I mean, City didn't go for it, did they? I mean, they left Mara. Mara didn't come off the bench. Hmm. De Bruyne didn't come off the bench. They rested players for this. And Guardiola seemed like quite just seem to enjoy the fact that football can be so mad sometimes because <laughs> I mean 29-2 on shots and you lose 2-1 is I mean that is incredible I thought I thought it was a brilliant brilliant game I loved it mm, and no one he'd rather lose 2-1-2 uh, 
in those circumstances. I'm sure than Marcelo Bielsa. A lot of players rested. De Bruyne, Mares, Foden and Gundogan, who did come on. Uh, Nathan Aki making his first start since Boxing Day. And the reason for that, one imagines, is Borussia Dortmund, who are coming up on Wednesday after a first leg, which also finished 2-1, but 2-City, but was a lot tighter, I think, than a lot of people expected. Uh, this weekend, in contrast to City, Dortmund were winners, uh, 3-2, in fact, away at Stuttgart with Jude Bellingham, who was unfairly treated by the ref last week, getting a goal, his first goal in the Bundesliga. Oh, and that teenager, Angsgar Knauf, the one who made his first ever start for Dortmund in the City game, uh, actually got his first goal uh, for the club at Stuttgart. There you go. Well, what do you think about City's chances? Hmm? I think the, the the thing that will Guardiola will not necessarily mind the result, and he was right to make the changes, but he will be slightly irked by the fact that they are still falling into that trap of creating, not just having a lot of shots, but also creating quite a number of dangerous situations that don't even end in a shot. Um, and you look at their the look at their Champions League exits. And they basically follow that pattern. You know, they had 20 shots against Liverpool in eight, 2018, scored once. They had that first leg against Spurs, where I think they only had about 10 or 11 shots, but missed a penalty. But Sterling missed that chance against Leon, um, and then Leon go down the other end and score. And I think that's what will worry him because they kind of did that to a slightly lesser extent against Dortmund last week as well. So that that will annoy him if City fall into that trap. Because I think that's the only thing that will stop them getting to the Champions League final if, if PSG get through against Bayern. All that talk of the quadruple, but it could all come could all come to to an end this this Wednesday. Mm. Mm. No, it's it's I mean, I expected them to be a lot more comfortable than they are. We know that it's the situation's probably changed a little bit this season because of the lack of fans, but I mean typically two one at home is not really a win. That leaves you about a fifty fifty chance of going through. So yeah, it'd be interesting. But I mean is them having a re- the big players having a rest for this game is is quite big. I mean, he really went out of his way to rest them, didn't he? To the extent that he played, I mean, he's so over the overthinking thing that he played Zinchenko in midfield. <laughs> played a midfielder in midfield for the first time ever. So he's, I mean, really back to basics. But no, I, I think they'll have enough uh, against Dortmund. And I agree with Daniel. Actually, looking at the PSG uh, Bayern game, I thought there were a lot of flaws in those two teams actually. And mm. really, I, I watched that and thought this really is cities to lose. This is the season. We've said it. They've probably been the best side in Europe a couple of times under Guardiola already, but I think this is the season where they. I can't really see why they shouldn't win it this year. So you see, I mean, you, you talk about PSG and Bayern both going backwards compared to, say, last season. Yeah, I mean, particularly Bayern, because Bayern were so good last year, but I, I don't think they're playing with the same kind of cohesion and compactness. And, of course, they're without Lewandowski, who's a right, player who yeah. can, can change things. And PSG, I think there's some familiar weaknesses there particularly the forwards not really contributing enough without the ball which right. I don't think is an issue for City in part because they don't really use forwards this season yeah um, Bayern of course without those players Nabry and Lewandowski and uh, a bunch of others absent this weekend as they got held to a 1-1 draw by Union Berlin Kingsley Coman also coming off at half time so major problems there for Hansi Flick Paris Saint-Germain meantime with a 4-1 win away at Strasbourg uh, with another goal for Kylian Mbappé uh, and an assist too. Crikey. We'll be previewing all the Champions League action, of course, in Tuesday's Totally Football Show European edition with Alvaro and Rafa and James and Julien. But what about Liverpool-Real Madrid? What, 
What, what are your thoughts on where this stands? Uh, the first leg at the iconic Valdebebas training ground. Also, <laughs> did did Zinedine Zidane uh, out-tactic Klopp? And is he due a bit more respect from, you know, football conoscenti, Zizou? Yeah, I think he did in the first game. I thought... Um... I thought particularly yeah, the way they counterattacked in particular and the way that they switched the play through Tony Crowe's first with diagonal balls and then balls over the top, I thought was really effective. And also on Saturday against Barcelona in the Classico, I thought Real's system worked really well. He, he surprisingly dropped Asensio, who scored four in four, brought in Valverde, played him almost as, as an extra right back, which meant Vasquez, who's a right winger, playing at right back, almost plays a right side of centre back. I think because Real don't have the superstars of yesteryear, Zidane has been forced to be a bit cleverer tactically. And yeah, I think in, in two games against Liverpool and Barcelona, he's come out of it very well. Probably, I would say if they get through against Liverpool, and I expect them to, I think you could argue it's almost been the best week in management for Zidane, not in terms of, I mean, he's won three European Cups, but in terms of his reputation. Because the European Cups were, were chalked up as victories for Ronaldo and, and Bale in the one against Liverpool. But yeah, Zidane tactically, I think, is showing more than probably he ever has as Real Manager. Well, Liverpool did at least get a win at Anfield this weekend against Aston Villa, which is nice with Real coming to Merseyside on Wednesday. That 2-1 win over the Villains featuring their first goals from open play at home in 2021. That's extraordinary. Uh, Ending a run of six straight defeats at Anfield for Liverpool. It's the first game they played there in five weeks. You mentioned what a week it's been for Zinedine Zidane. Quite a big one for Trent as well, who had that wonderful assist against Arsenal the less wonderful assist for Real Madrid on Tuesday, and then this thumping uh, winner against Aston Villa on, on Saturday. Yes, I mean, and, and that was great for him, but that wasn't Gareth Southgate's point, really. Gareth Southgate's point wasn't that Trent Alexander-Arnold can play in brilliant crosses and can be involved in attacking Liverpool moments. It was the fact that he thinks his defending is slightly slumped, which, given he was at fault for at least one, and I think probably the first Real Madrid goal as well when he kind of went to kind of almost went with Kabak to try and attack the ball rather than just sweeping up in behind um yeah uh, uh, that doesn't answer those critics and um there's a kind of narrative now that you can see is going to happen that when Trent Alexander-Arnold does anything good or bad <laughs> the the reaction will switch to and from Gareth Southgate um in fact, he just needs a few quiet weeks and he needs Liverpool to stay in the Champions League because I think if, if he plays deep into the Champions League and plays well in there, he'll probably be in the squad. But if mm. Liverpool don't finish top four and go out to Real Madrid, he might not be. How, how would you say, after all the controversy over Klopp's lineup for the first game in Madrid, how should he line up Liverpool this Wednesday? Michael's my go-to man for tactics, obviously, but I would wondering whether Klopp might go for the the front four again, which we saw in that Manchester City game when it was a kind of, he just tried to make it sort of chaos for the first 15 minutes. I suspect they're probably going to have to score early again if they are going to go through. So I wondered if he might go for all four. Yeah, maybe. I mean, there was a bit of speculation that he'd do that for the first game. I think probably the reason he didn't was a slightly odd way Real Madrid used a midfield where Casemiro starts as a holding midfielder and ends up as the number 10, because I don't really know how you stop that with with that system. I mean, you can play Firmino as the number 10, but it will then um, end up tracking back to in front of his defence, which probably doesn't make sense. But yeah, it's, it's a night where they have to gamble, so so maybe you're right. I mean, he's not going to use the same lineup as the first game, is he? I think I think it's obvious that uh, Thiago will, will play and set the tempo. And I think Firmino actually was quite a big loss. I know he's not 
been at his best in, in recent months and we know he's not prolific in front of goal, but I, I thought they really lacked someone to link play. And indeed, I thought he did that quite well for um, the build-up to the Salah goal at the weekend. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he went with the same front three, actually. Mane clearly is out of form. I thought we saw at the end Mane went for a shot at goal when he probably should have squared to Jota, I think. Yeah, it was. It was um, Jota. And, uh, I mean, that's just not... Mane's quite selfless, isn't he? He's not Salah. That's the reason he gets annoyed with Salah, because Salah would always go for goal in that situation. Mane usually doesn't, but I think it shows how much Mane is... Uh, Underperforming, he's still getting into the positions. To be fair, but there does seem to be a, lo- a loss of confidence. So, I think maybe he'll be the one to miss out, which you, you wouldn't have said really at any point over the previous three campaigns. Just thinking about Liverpool, do they not have um, more than one that man in their team as well, Adam? Where, where exactly do the where does the line on that man status? Would Mo Salah not be that man, Mo Salah, and equally is Trent now not in? It's that man, Trent. You could argue that man for Trent, but that's for sort of narrative, topical, newsworthy reasons, right. not necessarily goal scoring. Um, Mo Salah does not qualify because as a already free scoring member of a top six club, it is assumed that he is permanently that man and therefore cannot be elevated to that status. So, um, so yeah, so, no, he's, yeah, he's already. So that, that man, man is somebody who's consistently overperforming or performing outside their roles kind of perceived expectations well in a kind of, yeah and in a, in a purple patch as well so mm. you know and a sudden explosion of form not necessarily out of nowhere it doesn't have to be completely unlikely suspect but um but yeah kind of big six players generally not that men at all adam am i would i be right in saying that a big six forward can be who else but I would say so, and then of mm. course, if they if 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 it's kind of you know script right script fulfilling goal like against a former club, then you will definitely it, it had to be, um, which is a distant cousin of that man. Salah surely has been temporarily ejected from the who else but category by dint of that five game goal scoring drought that he went. But I mean Lewandowski, for example, or Harry Kane, that's a who else but surely no, or uh, Jesse Lingard right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that man tends to precede who else, but right. But who else, but is still is still very much um, connected. But uh, yeah, if you're a consistent performer like Kane, you, you don't really tend to bother with who else, but who who knows how many seasons before we're using terms like this with regard to Chelsea players. Uh, Chelsea did uh, though have a uh, quite a luxurious four-one win uh, this weekend. They're also in Champions League action uh, this midweek. Uh, Tuesday they're going to be hosting Porto. They're two-nil up from the first leg, which was in Seville, as will this uh, latest clash between the two sides. The 4-1 game away at Palace. They came out hot from the traps for this one. They wanted it. There's some important context to this, and I was about to make this point before listener Alex Cooney tweeted in beforehand and says, what is the 2021 COVID equivalent of teams being on the beach? Whatever it is, Palace completely encapsulated it on Saturday. So, yeah, I'm thinking... If you think of all the ingredients for a team being on the beach, Crystal Palace pretty much ticking all the boxes here. 13th place. They're 12 points clear of danger. 12 players out of contract this summer. Empty stadiums. You've got the Euros on the horizon for people thinking about it. This could potentially be the most on-the-beach team in Premier League history. So that's what Chelsea are essentially up against on on Saturday. Are we doing Chelsea a disservice there? Did they make uh, Crystal Palace look like bystanders or were... Palace that complicit in it. I'm required by UK law to say bit of both. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nicely done. All right. Well, no, no Werner, which coincided with Chelsea's best attacking performance under Tuchel. Not sure if we can uh, link those two in any way. But Kai Havertz scoring and assisting. He is very much in a purple patch. And uh, yeah, there you go. They they take on Porto, as I say, on Tuesday. Not much to be concerned about there. No, and I think it's probably worth reiterating how quickly Tuchel has made Chelsea the, probably the second best team in the country since he took over. And I think for, to an extent, I think they're... They, they, they haven't scored many. I think they scored 11 in his first 10 games. But the kind of underlying numbers were always pretty good. I think they've they've almost created as many chances as Manchester City during um, during his time in charge, which is, has long been the kind of high watermark. And yeah, there's, you know they are going to routinely get to a Champions League semi-final, their first since 2014, I think. So it is amazing how quickly he's just kind of clicked them into, oh yeah, this is Chelsea, this is what we do, which... Um, yeah, I think they, they should be serious title challengers for next season, which is kind of what we, we'd hope would happen this season under Lampard. It just constantly amazes me that Chelsea continue to operate while still never quite figuring out what a centre-forward is and how they can find one and then get them to play well for them. Um, they've just got a sort of three sort of kick, either kicking their heels on the sidelines or just underperforming like Werner. And so they've got Abraham, who just doesn't play. Giroud, who just gets called upon in very specialist situations where he's needed. And uh, I, how, how a massive club can so consistently fail to nail down a, set, like a proper number nine and get him to score goals, it's beyond me. They just, they, no one gets scores over 30 seasons for Chelsea, ever. It's baffling for a team who, you know, traditionally create so many chances. It's, it's so weird. If it's goal-scoring centre-forwards you want, Adam, you can't say fairer than Christian Benteke. Uh, Duncan Alexander pointing out this week that 4,347 players have featured in the Premier League. Only 52 of them have scored more goals in it than Christian Benteke. So, give that man a new contract, Crystal Palace. Absolutely. Right, loads more to come on this Totally Football show, including this. Keep listening for Alvaro Romeo versus Benji Lanyardo in the Intertotally Cup, sponsored by Paddy Power. And it's live-ish. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to the Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. 
on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. By the way, if you're keen to hear more from our panel, we've already mentioned Michael's musings on uh, Mourinho's tactics available at The Athletic, and also a very fine piece he, he wrote, you know, illustrating or going in-depth about how PSG and Bayern aren't what, what they were. Uh, but you can uh, find Adam Hurry uh, with a lovely piece on the return of Fiverside. Adam, really enjoyed that hugely Thank this you, week. James. Also on The Athletic. Uh, raises a chuckle in these difficult times. Mm. Uh, Daniel with a rather less banter-filled piece on the growing movement to boycott social media over the racist abuse that uh, players have been receiving, which is an ongoing and, and, and really dispiriting issue. Uh, there have been different thoughts about how much effect they can get. Swansea, for example, have announced a one-week boycott. Uh, I read that Birmingham and, and Rangers in, in, in up in Scotland are, are doing the same. Daniel, you feel that this is something that could have could have some positive impact. Well, I mean, it's essentially performative, which everything is when you don't ultimately have the the full control, and and they don't ultimately have the full control because. You know the social media platforms are the ones that are going to have to kind of implement the change, but and it and it only really work. It doesn't work if if Birmingham, Swansea, and Rangers are the only clubs to do it. It only really works if Manchester City or a Chelsea or a Manchester United or a Liverpool do it, because um, that will make a difference to things like PR and share price, and it becomes a kind of global news story. With no disrespect to Swansea, the same isn't true of them. But even on their level, it's good that it, I think it happens because. So far, what's happened is that generally black players or the players who have been racially abused leave social media. At least this feels like a bit more of a community thing where the clubs are supporting those players rather than the kind of the victim having to suspend their account while Mm. the kind of horrible storm continues without them. Adam Crafton writing a piece, though, equally in which he, he quotes... Sam Allardyce on this issue saying that he thinks that a boycott would be a good thing but that the only way it would actually work is if all the clubs decided to do it together but given the economic times and given that sponsorships are being renewed etc etc they won't ever do that or they won't do that at the moment because money so hmm. so yeah difficult well I, I mean I think any gesture is it's something, uh, and it's very, as I say, dispiriting, especially to feel that there's nothing that can be done. But anything that puts pressure on, on the uh, the platforms to uh, to tighten up on this kind of thing, I think uh, probably should be welcomed. Uh, more Premier League shortly. Adam, though, uh, did you want to talk about, because I see you were, you were tweeting about this this week, the good old days of football focus. And I, and I don't <laughs> mean before Christ. 8K cameras came out and kind of blurred everything. Uh, football focus, Dan Walker stepping down as the host after 12, 12 years. Woof. Blimey. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I tweeted what I thought was some gentle, breezy satire about my traditional consumption of football focus since about the age of eight. Um, but it turned into some, uh, yeah, I, I said I was going to become the new presenter of, of football focus and it, it right. turned into this increasingly surreal ego boost. Um, so I'm sorry for misleading several people, including the BBC's Hugh Edwards and Mark Bosnich of the 1990s. Oh, do um, they generally so, get in touch and say congratulations? Yeah, well, in an indirect kind of way, yeah, they sort of, yeah. <laughs> to them. But I mean, yeah, I'm glad that people thought that I was a genuine contender, but uh, right. I don't know who is going to be the new presenter, but good luck to them. Anyway, I've got I've got soccer tots on Saturday morning, so I can't. I'm not oh, available. okay. Because, yeah. I mean, Football Focus, that's the issue with Football Focus, is that it clashes, particularly now in this age of lunchtime kickoffs. I'm not sure, I've not really seen a lot of Football Focus. Daniel, was it a 
significant program for you? It feels, um, maybe because that's just when I watched it, but it feels like something that if it wasn't deliberately aimed at kids and teenagers, that was probably, or should probably should be its intended market. Because I guess, apart from at the moment, quite a lot of adults are going to games and quite a lot of adults who aren't going to games have other things going on in their lives that they get done at the time football focuses on so they can mm. watch the football. I mean, um, you say at the moment, but actually not at the moment, but usually... No, but right, yes. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I used to watch it as a kid and right. therefore I think that should probably be the target audience. I, I'm always afraid of kind of throwing shade at anything that's on terrestrial TV because I think we kind of forget in the maybe in the little bubble we're in where we do watch football all weekend that masses and masses and literally millions of children don't have access to Sky Sports or BT and therefore things like Football Focus, they probably come after Sunday morning repeats of Match of the Day, but they might be second to that. Daniel, what's in Football Focus? I mean, just for people like me or people who are abroad and don't have access to Football Focus, was it? Does it have Clem in it? Uh, I think it's officially known as a magazine show, which means it will have some previews of games and some right. highlights of last week but mainly sort of features and a much loved part of the footballing televisual firmament michael have you got any thoughts on football focus uh no i was on it last year actually last there season they came to um they came to kingstonian before a game against uh filed in, mm. in the fa cup and i must say uh dan walk was really good actually like you know really good at you know talking to people who weren't usually you know weren't accustomed to being on tv oh did he come down and actually do the thing himself the filming uh, so i yeah there were two separate bits i was just at the ground like doing a pre-recorded bit saying about the history of the club but then they were in the clubhouse and stuff and i don't know it, it just felt like it was really good for that kind of it's got a bit of an fa cup vibe about it i think it's like quite a traditional show mm. um and yeah i don't don't watch every week but uh i i, I do appreciate its value i mean it's it's too traditional for Adam to be the presenter. Do you know what I mean? So I immediately <laughs> didn't buy, didn't buy that joke. Sorry. Uh, delighted that you, your first reason for me not presenting football focus was not my presenting skills. So that's uh, <laughs> delighted. Adam, by the way, before we get back to the Premier League, which everyone's waiting for us to do, uh, a quick word on Power League Stroke Five aside. Uh, you're not the only uh, one of our kind of of the you know totally family. So who's any good? Well, I mean, depending on what your definition of good is, I mean, I mean, Tom Williams is incredibly handy if you want someone who's never, ever going to pass you the ball. And oh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, in the nicest possible way. I, I like him, but he's a genuinely irritating man to play against and with. Wow, OK. Uh, if you were picking a, a totally five-a-side team, who would be in it? Me. Right. Um, uh, Alvaro. <laughs> Alvaro. Is Alvaro yeah. good? Alvaro's incredible. Um, everything is done at the, in a blur much quicker than I've ever experienced at same way side. he speaks basically yes exactly exactly mm. right um, it, full of full of knowledge full of wisdom and full of um, expertise yet done far too quickly for you to be able to deal with is, right, uh, is basically okay. my summary of his football uh, who yeah, else I'll um, tell, tell you who, who this side would be Julian's really really good right C- classy midfielder I'd say right. Alvaro is great, very skillful, and can kind of bundle his way past challenges very well. Jack Lang is a very good dribbler, quite direct, head up. Rory Smith is a very good player, and is the he? fifth, uh, the fifth, I think, would be Adam because Adam can do a, a shifting goal quite well. 
Okay, so I was going to ask. Sasha's, was Sasha's the goalkeeper, surely. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Sasha. We'll Sasha's see, we'll good. see. Sasha's good <laughs> as well because he gets... Um, Sasha, he's very... He's big on barking out instructions. And the angrier he gets, the scouser he gets as well, which I really enjoy. <laughs> but right, there's, some, there's some good players, but I would echo Adam's thoughts about Tom Williams as well. Crikey, Tom. Sorry, Tom. Um, that's team totally available for challenges, you know, for anyone who's... Yeah, listening and of that mind Definitely. anyway back onto the Premier League and this was probably the weekend that the relegation battle was resolved you were saying Michael earlier on after Newcastle beat Burnley and Fulham lost at home to Wolves Magpies now six points clear of the Cottagers and 11 of West Brom with a game in hand on both does it all now come down to them keeping Sam Maximan fit on the evidence of, of Sunday yes absolutely um Sam Axman and Callum Wilson, basically, who who both came on together, and uh, I think the stats are ridiculous. I think Newcastle have something like a forty six percent win ratio when those two play, and eleven percent when they don't. Um, and someone like Sam Maximan, in some teams, I can imagine he would be quite frustrating because he does have that kind of old, or maybe current Adama Traore tendency of, of finding a blind alley when there are two open doors. But he's a sort um, of Tyneside Tom Williams. Indeed, yes. Yeah, that's that's true with a Gucci headband. Um, but in a team like Newcastle, that's kind of oxygen to them because they are workmanlike if they are a day old and they need that kind of sprinkling of surprise, which is exactly what happens as soon as he comes on the pitch. He actually works really well, although he's good enough to start. He works really well as a sub because mm. he's completely different to every other Newcastle player. He came on after 57 minutes in this game with uh, Vidra having put Burnley a goal up after fine fine link play from Chris Wood. Within eight minutes, Sam Maximan had made one and scored another and turned the game on its head, providing a a, a vital three points for, for Newcastle. The thing I really liked about it, about that, that his goal as well, is that on the, the replays on, on TV, which was the one that circled around social media, he does a kind of step over and moves the ball one way and the cameraman gets done so much that the whole of Sam Maximan goes out of shot until he then takes a shot and scores, which is great. Brilliant stuff from uh, Sam Maximan, who also uh, has been shining off the pitch. He donated more than 60 care packages to NHS, NHS workers on Tyneside this week. What I particularly liked about this was the contents because he put in luxury confectionery boxes as well as uh, vouchers for high street shops and stuff like that. But and there's a note of appreciation from from Alan himself. But I think if you get a care package and it doesn't include luxury confectionery boxes, you, you're probably a little bit disappointed anyway. Uh, there you go. Uh, fine work from Dubravka as well, keeping them in it until some Axman could turn up and rescue uh, the Magpies. Fulham, meanwhile, going down 1-0 at home to Wolves on Friday. Uh, Fulham players in tears at the end of this. So were plenty of viewers, actually, because it wasn't the greatest... <laughs> game to watch but it did feature a, a goal from Adama Traore after 48 games crikey not since December 2019 Michael you were mentioning browsing Fulham's run-in fixtures which of course conclude with a clash against Newcastle uh, th- there is still time but this feels like a pretty devastating defeat yeah it does uh, they've still got to play Manchester United they've still got to play Chelsea Arsenal, not sure whether that's still a, a tough one, but I feel like this weekend was quite significant. And and I must say, probably three matches ago, I would have backed Fulham to stay up ahead of Newcastle. I thought Newcastle would look in a right state. Um, I mean, it's still live. The good thing, of course, is that the um, 
the two sides do play each other on the final day of the season at Craven Cottage. Um, the goal difference, I think, is pretty much the same at the moment. So it's six points. I mean, if Fulham can get it back to within three points, obviously they're, they're going to have a bash at it on the final day, mm. which would be very exciting. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I do I do think probably this weekend was quite, quite damning, especially as Fulham really could have won that game. Um, and obviously Newcastle could have lost theirs. Yeah, uh, it's six points, as you say, but they do have a game in hand as well. The Magpies, having said that, I can't believe I've been rash enough to suggest that anything's done because... Uh, this season, perhaps uh, more than any other, uh, has a habit of uh, coming up and biting narrative's bum. Uh, visits to Arsenal and Chelsea next for Fulham. Arsenal, well, you were casting doubt about their status as a tough adversary, Michael, but they look pretty impressive. Sunday night, concluding the uh, first three days of this Premier League weekend in a 3-0 win away at Sheffield United, people particularly excited by the opening goal, which had shades of that kind of Giroud-Jack Wilshire affair of yesteryear. Yeah, not quite on that level, but certainly a lovely passing move um, between various players between the lines. A kind of classic Arsenal goal, I think we, we have to call it. But yeah, it was, I mean, it, Sheffield United looked really poor, actually. Not just technically, but clearly lacking confidence. I mean, some of the mistakes, John Lundstrom's misplaced pass for, for the second goal, the Martinelli goal, just don't know what he was what he was doing there. But yeah, it was a good game for Arsenal to just get some confidence with, with a few players. Martinelli, his first goal for over a year. Thought Ceballos looked as good as he's as he's looked for a while with a lot of clever back flicks. Thomas Partey didn't think he had a great game, but got a really good assist for Lacazette. It was interesting what they did at left back. Played Xhaka there. Obviously they're without a proper left back without Tierney. Um, Cedric is the obvious option Saka seemed like the second choice option but they went for Xhaka probably because they knew against Sheffield United they'd be a bit physical and maybe wanted the the physical presence uh, across the back four because they had Chambers at right back as well so it's quite a big back four but yeah it was it was routine for Arsenal really Right some worrying news though ahead of Thursday's delicately poised Europa League second leg with Slavia Prague being uh, Bakao Saka's uh, exit from the game I'm not sure the entity of that injury. Uh, yeah, he was, a... he was feeling his uh, groin, which is a bit of a worry. I mean, I'm always slightly reluctant to say this kind of thing because, you know, they have the clubs have the medical data on the players, but I'm slightly worried about Saka and exhaustion over the last couple of months. He does, I think his form isn't quite as good as at the start of the season. And I think when it's your first, it's pretty much his first full Premier League campaign, especially with such a busy one. I do think sometimes players run out of steam and, yeah, hopefully it's not a serious injury. Um, how optimistic is everyone for Thursday night and Slavia Prague against Arsenal? I think Slavia are actually a really good team. They didn't show it in the first leg, but I was really, really impressed with them against Leicester and against Rangers. And I think Arsenal are up against it. I think maybe there's a an argument that Arsenal will get a couple of away goals. And, yeah, again, I think the, the situation with the away goals is slightly weird this season, isn't it? I think Arsenal are just about favourites, but I think Slavia will be a lot better than they were on Thursday where they didn't really turn up going forward. But they've got a couple of really quite quite exciting players. I mean, players who I think could play in top six clubs in the Premier League. I think they shouldn't be underestimated. So, yeah, a difficult game. Well, they've already furnished one top six side with a couple of gems in Sofal and Socek. All right, well, big game that for uh, Arteta, who is you probably heard mention, has now reached the same number of games that Unai Emery had in charge of the Gunners, but with 10 points less 
for Mikel, which is not, not the most convincing of stats from his point of view. But anyway, there you go. We'll be talking much more about Thursday's Europa League fixtures and all that in Tuesday's European Totally Football show. It's still to come from the Premier League on Monday evening. As mentioned earlier, West Brom against Southampton and Brian Everton. A quick mention that you can sign up for a subscription with The Athletic for unrivaled coverage on the business end of the season. All the articles, all the podcasts, ad-free and Q&As with writers. All that for just £4 a month. Head to theathletic.com slash totally. But now, and speaking of Q&As with writers, it's time for the climax of today's show. The latest battle in the Intertotally Cup. The Intertotally Cup, sponsored by Paddy Power. Stadiums might not yet be full, but Paddy's offers are at full capacity. Get a free bet if one leg of your four-plus fold acre lets you down on all football matches and markets. Teaser C supply. 18 plus, begamalaware.org. Yes, Intertotally time. Coxie, Matt Davis-Adams, Duncan, Sasha and Filthy Jack Lang are all through to the quarterfinals. Let's meet... The two fresh contestants looking to join them. Up first, he's a commentator and one of last year's semi-finalists. All the way from Peckham, he is Totally's Basque Lion. He is Alvaro Romeo. Rocking the fresh young sounds of the Alan Parsons project. It is Alvaro Romeo. Alvaro, your your run to the semis last year was the, the stuff of dreams. How are you feeling this year? I'm feeling very well. Um, I was a little bit relieved that Daniel's story was out because I didn't want to suffer back-to-back defeats against the same opponent for two years. But I was scared with the level of Sasha Gorionou. So uh, let's see. Let's see how, what happens. I think that uh, Benji can be a hell of a competitor. But I'm going to keep the discipline of a samurai and go round by round and don't think about the future. That's an excellent policy. Competition so very fierce this year. The quality of anything has only increased. As you know, another thing that's uh, improved this year is the fact that we're going to be donating, or Paddy Power will be donating £10 uh, to the winner's charity of choice and then placing that £10 on uh, the bet of their choosing with the winnings uh, also going to charity. Uh, Alvaro, what will your charity of choice be? Uh, my charity will be Shelter. They basically donate and help for people who are facing homelessness. Brilliant. What's your bet going to be, Alvaro? My bet will be on Barcelona to beat Atletico in four weeks. All right. Excellent stuff. Let's now meet your opponent. And his opponent sticking two fingers up to UEFA by observing only the Uncle Jeff coefficient residing in Finsbury Park but representing the East End of London and all hammers everywhere it is Benji Laniado Striking an early blow in the intro music battle there Benji Laniado, welcome to the Intertotally Cup Hey Jimbo, yeah, I'm very excited to be here Great. All right. Well, obviously, it's been an amazing season for the the Hammers. And and like them, you're aiming top four at least, yes? Absolutely. And I'm privileged to be up against a a European giant in in Alvaro. Um, And yeah, I'm just hoping for, you know, a fun day out for all the fans. Um, So yeah, yeah, very excited. Is Uncle Jeff there rooting for you? He's he's always there. We've um we did a we did a four hour football trivia session this morning just to sort of get get limber. So yeah, good to go. Only four. Okay. Uh, what's your charity of choice? <laughs> uh, the Whittington Hospital. 
which is? Uh, it's a hospital uh, in Archway um, that over the last year has been pretty extraordinary to the local community and, uh, and my family too. Brilliant. What's your bet going to be, Benj? Um, I, li- I always like long shots. So let's go for Arsenal to qualify for European competition this season. Crikey. All right, then. Let's get our questions on now, though. Alvaro, you're up first. Let's go. Okay, Alvaro, question one. Which was Jose Mourinho's first club as a head coach stroke manager? Have we lost Alvaro on the line? It's gone very quiet. Jose Mourinho was the manager of... Which club, first of all? What was the first club on his managerial CV? This is bad. Uh, Rio Ave? No, no. A lot of people would have said, is it Union Leira? But actually Benfica for a brief and not very successful stint. Question two. Which Brazilian club did Clarence Seidorf briefly play for? Was it um, Flamengo? It was not. Not far away. Botafogo. Botafogo. Yes. Yes, Benji. Question three. The son of which former European great who played for both Barcelona and Real Madrid was part of Rangers' Scottish Premiership winning team this season? Can you say the question again? Of course. The son of which former European great who'd played for both Barcelona and Real Madrid was part of Rangers' Scottish Premiership winning team this season? So whose son played for Rangers? The dad used to play for Barcelona and Real Madrid was a bit of a ledge. Mm. I'm a bit lost with this one. Son of a famous footballing dad in the Rangers team this year, Alvaro. I don't know. I don't know. That's my answer. Benji. Is it? Is it Hadji? It is George Hadji. Oh, oh, sorry, it's Yanis Hadji, son of yeah. George. Mm-hmm. Extraordinary. Okay. Question four, Alvaro. You need this. Yeah. Which player who would go on to play in England... Scored the Czech Republic's goal in the Euro 96 final against Germany. Patrick Berger? Is correct. Fortunately. Question five. Who scored both goals for Atletico Madrid against Fulham in the 2010 Europa League final? Diego Forlan. Exactly. All right. So two points out of five. Alvaro, any thoughts? I think the questions were fantastic and I feel a little bit angry with myself for not having guessed the Janis Hagi one. Mm. But anyway, I'm hoping for the best. Hopefully Benji won't have his best day today. Yeah, all right. Well, let's see. Benji, you're up next. Here they go. Question one. Which manager did Jose Mourinho take over from at Real Madrid? Hmm... Bit of a guess, but it was it was it Pellegrini. It was Pellegrini, Benji. Ooh. Inspired stuff. Question two: Which Argentinian club did Daniele De Rossi briefly play for? I think that's Boca, isn't it? He went it to is Boca. Boca, and you're now level with Alvaro's score. Crikey, <sighs> three questions to go, but the difficulty ramps up now as I ask you question three: Which club? Currently has the sons of Dennis Bergkamp, Dennis Wise and Mauricio Pochettino on their books. Is it Spurs? It is not. It's Watford. 
Ah, okay. Wofford. Remarkable, isn't it? Dennis Bergkamp, Dennis mm, Wise and Mauricio Pochettino's offspring. Question four. Which player, who would go on to play in England, scored Denmark's opener in the Euro 92 final against Germany? The final? Yes. Denmark's opener in the final against Germany. John Jensen. It was John Jensen, Benji. And you've just won yourself a place in the quarterfinals. Woohoo! Massive. There is another question to go. Would you like to hear it? Yeah, sure. Who scored the winner for Chelsea in the 2013 Europa League final? That's a great question. Europa League final, 2013 mm. Chelsea. Yeah. Alvaro, you've got the smile of a man who knows the answer to this. Well, he's a Spanish guy, I think, but... Uh... No, no, okay. I'm, not, I'm, I'm smiling for him. I mean, I'm angry at myself. Believe right. me, there is no ha- sign of happiness in me right now. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'll, ta- I'll take Alvaro's alley-oop and guess Fernando Torres. No, it's not Fernando Torres. Uh, Mata? Uh, Branislav Ivanovic. Branislav oh. Ivanovic. Ah, How Senor come we Ivanovic. don't remember that? You got it there, didn't you, listener? Clever you. Anyway, well, listen. So three out of five narrowly pipping Alvaro's two out of five. To a place in the quarterfinals in, as I say, this extremely high-quality uh, edition of the Intertotally Cup. Your thoughts, Benji? Oh, dreamland, absolute dreamland. You know, this is this is. I'm just. I, I, I'm in. Cl- I'm on cloud nine. I'm just going to take each game as it comes, right? And and enjoy it. You know. Well, next up for you, it's Jack Lang in the quarterfinals. So that is going to be stonking. Bring it, bring it, smart boy. All right then. Alvaro, thank you so much for joining us. Quick word on what you think is going to happen when Liverpool take on Real Madrid. I think Real Madrid will go through. They were very good against Barcelona again, and I mm. expect them, uh, even I would tell you, uh, beating Liverpool at Anfield. Right, 3-2 with you and Benji today. Same scoreline for, for Real, do you think? Uh, will that work for Real Madrid? Yes. So I'm sure that they will be taking that. Right. Okay. excellent. Well, listen, we'll be speaking to you anyway and previewing that and all the rest of the midweek action in Tuesdays totally football show but many thanks to both you and benji for joining us today and we'll have more into totally on thursday bittersweet experience for our panel listening to that because michael you're through as reigning champion to the quarterfinal daniel you got knocked out by sasha gurionov in a shock first round defeat and adam you quite simply weren't invited <laughs> <laughs> Didn't qualify, maybe, is the... Uh, Didn't qualify, one. right. Yeah. Okay. So, um, all right. Well, anyway, there you go. Uh, fabulous having you with us, though, on Totally today, Adam. And, uh, and, and, and many thanks. Thank uh, any any other thoughts before we let everyone get on with their weeks? No, nope. that's Not it. We've covered the football. Brilliant. Uh, on Tuesday, Totally returns with the Euro gang to talk on the midweek fixtures and all the craziness that's happened over the weekend so do join us for that Uh, for now from all of us here it's many many thanks and have a lovely week you've been listening to the Totally Football Show part of the Athletic Podcast Network keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad free on the Athletic app the Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power.
Brought to your ears by The Athletic, I'm Adam Hurry and Football Clichés is the podcast you never knew you needed. Every week, to quite unnecessary depth, we examine the words, the phrases, the accepted wisdom, the mannerisms, the habits, the gestures, the symbols, the sounds and the smells that everyone takes for granted in football, but which really are the glorious glue that holds it all together. For example, have you ever really listened to the Football League goals roundups? I mean, really listen to them? Because they all sound pretty much like this. Team X went into this game with just one win in their last 13. And when Team Y took the lead inside four minutes at Stadium Z, the home fans were probably starting to fear the worst. But Striker A had other ideas, and this game turned on its head in the space of five minutes midway through the second half. First, a smart finish from the edge of the box brought Team X level, and he repeated the trick on the hour mark to bring his tally for the season to 22. By now, Team X were in the mood, and although Striker A squandered a gilt-edge chance to complete his hat-trick, on-loan Dutchman winger B made it three with a curling effort from long range. Team Y's misery was compounded in stoppage time when midfielder C's late challenge on fullback D saw them reduced to 10 men. An afternoon to forget for manager E's men then, but Team X will hope they have finally turned a corner under caretaker boss manager F. Listen to football cliches wherever you get your podcasts and also ad-free when you subscribe to The Athletic. The Athletic.